Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you this morning. We're in a study on the concept of Exodus. And our scripture passage from the Word of God this morning is found in Genesis chapter 12. It's going to be up here on the board for us. Why don't you follow along as we continue looking at Abram's journey. And we're going to be looking at what happened to him in terms of exercising his faith or failing to do so and how God delivered him. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with, with his wife and everything he had. Well, that's an interesting story, don't you think? Here's this guy who shows up in Scripture as a person of great faith and gets commended for it, and we have stories like this recorded about Abram and people like Abram all throughout Scripture. What's going on here? Why is this important to us? Because Abram was confronted with a fearful reality in his life. The Bible says in the story that famine had come upon the land, And Abram, as a farmer, as somebody who owned flocks and cattle, had a great concern about what? How are these animals going to eat if there's no food in the land because of the famine? And so this famine was dangerous. It was a trial that was brought into his life. And this guy who trusted God and who left his home and went to a land that God said he would show him. This man is faced now in this new place where God has called him with a trial and a temptation. What is he going to do? And when fear is not battled with faith, fear turns into failure. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning. I'm especially interested in learning 
uh, three things from the passage of how when fear arrives in our life, when God has called us to walk with him and we've promised to do that and obeyed to do that, and when these things come into our life, what can we learn from Abram's story here? There are three truths, I think, that we want to look at today. But before we get into that, let me tell you a little story I read this week about two nuns who were also practicing registered nurses. And they worked for a hospice care out of a convent. <clears throat> Late at night, they got a phone call that one of their clients was suffering and they needed to come out and take, take care of him. So it was a dark night, it was, it was a miserable night, and off they went to their client's house because that's how nurses are. They're going to go serve when they're called. And they show up, they take care of their patient, and they head back uh, in their car back to, the, to their uh, convent. On the way, they run out of gas. You know, didn't think to check the gas tank, I guess. They ran out of gas. And they get out of the car. Have you done this? You get out of the car when it's broken down, and you just look at it as if somehow your brain power looking at a broken down car is going to give you a solution. So they're out of gas, standing there <clears throat> in their nun outfits, and a truck comes by and sees two sisters stranded on the road. So he stops, and he says, what's going on, sisters? And they said, we ran out of gas. He said, well, I got plenty of gas in my truck. I'd be glad to give you some, but I don't think I have any kind of a can that I can get it out of my truck and into your car. So they said, well, let us look and see if we have anything. And they looked, and they found an unused bedpan. And they said to the truck driver, is this going to work? And, and he said, yeah, that'll work. So he got him some gas, and they're standing there now with the problem of trying to get the gas from the bedpan into that receptacle for the gas tank. Truck driver says, good luck. He pulls off, and just then, a state trooper pulls in behind them. And he looks at them, and he says, I don't think that's going to work but I sure do admire your faith. <laughs> How do you evaluate whether somebody has faith? The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. I want to repeat that. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, here's the story of Abram, a man of faith, according to Hebrews, who's faced with a difficult thing. Let's watch what he does. Here's three truths that we need to remember from Abraham's story. First, fear can cause you to forget God's promises. Do you remember what God promised Abraham? If you leave your place and go to the place that I show you, I'll be with you, I'll be your God, I will make your name great. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And what does Abram do? He gets up and off he goes. Now he gets into the promised land. And when he gets to the promised land, he wanders around the promised land until he comes to a place called Bethel. And there at Bethel, he makes an altar, which would have been a, a whole bunch of rocks piled into a, into a place where animals could be sacrificed and offerings could be made to God and he could worship God. Remember, he's a nomad. He's, uh, he's, he's pitching tents to live in. He's a Bedouin, as it were. And his church are these altars. And he comes to this altar and he worships God in Bethel, it says. 
And there God blesses him, and he's worshiping this God who has called him into a new journey out of his homeland and onto the promised land, and he's worshiping. When after his worship, what happens is a trial and a temptation come into his life. It's not unusual, by the way, if you had decided to follow God for something of a test to come into your life to see whether or not you're going to continue to exercise faith or whether or not you're going to take matters into your own hands. This is real. It's real for every Christian. You exercise faith and you trust Christ, you follow his call, and you think, I'm good, I'm following God, but here's what you soon learn about following God. Life is a continuous journey about exercising faith. It doesn't stop when you first put your faith in Christ. You put your faith in Christ, you're good now, and you can just walk through the, the life and everything will be hunky-dory on your way to the promised land. It doesn't work like that. You know that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that there come times in your life when you're at crossroads and you have to ask yourself the question again, can I still trust God? God called me and I trusted him back then. Can I still trust him now? There are two questions, I think, at this point in Abram's life when this famine arrives that Abram should have asked himself. First, will the God I worship protect me in this danger? Fear is a very real thing, right? It's a very real thing. See, it says here, that at Bethel he pitched his tent and worshiped the Lord. He was right with God. He was in the presence of God. He was walking with God. He was fellowshipping with God. And now this trial comes, and here's what we find in the story. There's no reference that when the trial comes, Abram is still at the altar praying. No, Abram is concocting a plan. What's his plan? My plan is I'm going to go down to Egypt where I know that they have food. Apparently, word was out on Facebook, and he could go down there and get some food and take care of his flocks. But Abram knew that he faced a problem when he got to Egypt. The Pharaoh had a harem, and Abram had a beautiful wife. And Abram knew that the way that Pharaohs take care of their problems is to kill the husband and marry the wife. He knew that. That's how it worked. In fact, if you were to go to Middle East today, you'd find that many of those uh, sheiks and shahs have big harems. It's a sign of power and prestige and money and wealth and rulership. You see it all play out in the, in the Middle Eastern kinds of cultures, and it was true there and then and that day. He had a large harem. So Abram, ahead of his journey to Egypt, knew that he might have a problem because the Bible says Abram's wife was a beautiful woman. And he knew that if he went down there as a stranger, everybody would know he was coming with his stuff. They would see him enter the country, and word would get out, and Pharaoh would know. And so he was afraid. He couldn't go back to Ur of the Chaldees because God, God had told him, leave your land. So he knew that wasn't an option. He's sitting in a place where there doesn't seem to be any rain or any food. And that's a problem. So in his mind, he thinks, I've got one solution, and that's to go to Egypt. But when I go to Egypt, I'm going to have a problem there. 
And so as he looks at his problems, I can't go back, I can't stay here, I can go there. He felt, I'm going to go there because I can manage that problem. I think I can manage this problem. How am I going to manage it? Here's how he's going to manage it. In that day and age, it was not unusual for people to marry their relatives. And Sarah was Abram's half-sister. He had a solution. He could tell Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister. He wouldn't be telling the whole truth that she was also his wife. He'd be telling a part truth, but he thought that he could manage his situation. Here's fear. I'm fearful. What's, what can I do to manage what I'm feeling inside? What it never says he did was to ask God, what do you want me to do? And can you take care of me here? There's only uh, two times in the Bible when God says to his people, it's okay to go to Egypt. You won't find it anywhere else except when God tells Joseph, uh, Jacob, to go into Egypt because he's going to make him a great nation there. And then when God tells uh, Joseph, the father or the uh, earthly father of Jesus to take Jesus to Egypt. Only two times. The rest of the time, Egypt, as Isaiah 31 says, is always viewed as a place that you're supposed to stay away from. Stay away from Egypt. Don't go there. Isaiah 31.1, I think it is. But he goes anyhow. And why didn't he pray about this before making a plan? Because you see in the story of Abram, every time he has an important thing that he needs to do and he prays, he sees victory in his test, in his trial. But in those portions of scripture that give us the story of Abram, when he ends up with a mess, it's because it says he didn't pray. There's no reference at all to this altar when this test comes. There's a reference to altars many other places as Abram lives. Why didn't he pray? If this God called him out, wouldn't this God take care of him here? Now, that's the issue of faith, isn't it? The issue of faith is we see regularly and naturally with our human eyes. We see with our human eyes. And the eyes of faith are spiritual eyes. The eyes of faith see a great God who makes great promises and keeps them. And the eyes of the physical body see the circumstance and the danger that's involved. And of course, all throughout the Bible, faith and fear are counteracted as the enemies of one another. And it might be you're sitting here right now with some fear in your life. That's normal for being a human being. The question is, as you look at your fear, the thing that you're most concerned about, the deep, most deeply worried about, where are your eyes, which set of eyes are you looking at the circumstances with? Are your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, the author and finisher of your faith? Can he get you through this trial? Will he bring you through this difficulty? Is there a way he will provide that you weren't expecting? Or will you take matters into your own hands and try to devise a plan yourself that you think is manageable? Abram wasn't praying. He was making a plan. <clears throat> so he ends up with awful difficulty in his life. Because when you don't have faith and you decide to take matters into your own hands as a believer and God has brought a test into your life to see how you respond, when you take matters into your own hands, failure follows when faith fails. 
I want you to kind of memorize that. Failure follows when faith fails. Whatever is not of faith is sin. What's the thing that pleases God? Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when those moments of testing and trial and fear come into your heart, you're going to have to ask the question, am I going to trust God or am I going to make a plan? Now, this is not telling us as a story that, that planning is wrong or that being responsible to make good choices in your humanity is wrong. That's not what it's talking about. What's talking about is his fear motivated him, motivated him to trust his own creativity to navigate the fear and the situation instead of simply trusting and relying upon God to give him the wisdom to provide. Maybe God would have showed up as he prayed and said, go to Egypt, I'll take care of you there. Or maybe God would say, hey, there's a hidden valley over here you don't know anything about that's got plenty of water. We don't know what God would have done. But the testing of faith is always about, are you going to trust in this moment? Or are you going to try to figure this out yourself? Well, he did try to figure it out himself, and he ended up with three failures, three things that happened as a result. First, he hurt others by his selfishness. When you sin, when you get out of the will of God, when you knowingly have taken matters into your own hands, when you've decided that you know best or you're unhappy with your circumstance or fear is driving your motivation or you're just angry or whatever it is that's motivating you, when you decide to walk by something other than faith, you will hurt someone. It's inevitable. And in this situation, Abram hurt a lot of people. First of all, he hurt Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't know Sarah was his wife. He thought she was his sister. So when he takes her as his wife, God sends plagues upon the house of Pharaoh because Abram is God's called servant. Abram decided he could handle it, but when he handled it, it brought pain to Pharaoh's household. Imagine the kind of pain it must have brought to his wife when he was willing to simply give her away to protect his own skin and coerced her into agreeing to the plan. She was dependent upon Abram. He was, the, he was the, uh, the Bedouin leader of this thing. He's the one who has wealth and a farm and is making the money, and he coerces her into accepting this plan. So he hurt her. He also hurt his future life. You know, when Abram, at a second time in his life, decided to take matters into his own hands, it was when he decided that he would help God out with the promise that he was going to have a son. He was an old man. God had promised him a son, right? And he said, I've been waiting a long time. There's no son. And Sarah shows up and says, look, I have a handmaid. Her name's Hagar. Take her and have a child with her. So he does. They have a child. His name is Ishmael. And Ishmael is not the son of promise. And to this day, the Arabs and the Jews are at war with one another, both claiming Abram as their father and both hating each other, right? Created a lot of problems for the world. But not just that. 
When Abram went to Egypt, Pharaoh got plagued. Pharaoh wants to buy Abram out and get him out of there as quickly as he can. So what's, what's Pharaoh do? Get rid of this plague. I'm going to give you gold and money and camels, and I'm going to give you female slaves and male slaves, and you're going to enlarge all of your wealth. I'm going to give you all of this stuff. You've got to get out of Egypt. You've got to get out of here. When Abram makes the mistake that has impacted three millennium of people, when he decides to go ahead and father a child with Hagar, the Bible says that Hagar was an Egyptian. When did he get Hagar into his life? When he first disobeyed here in Genesis 12. That sin led to a greater sin later. Because when you don't walk by faith and take matters into your own hands, you have no idea what you're going to create. He created not just a lifetime of pain for Hagar and her family, but generations of warfare between the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael. So, failure one, he hurt a lot of people. Failure two, he ended up creating the opportunity for greater sin later. And failure three, he exposed his nephew Lot to the world's desires. If you keep reading the story of Abram, there's an, another person in the story. His name is Lot. Lot is the nephew of Abram, and uh, Lot's father died, and Abram must have taken over as guardian. And both Abram and Lot are wealthy people. But when they come up out of Egypt with Pharaoh having bought all of this stuff, Lot's a wealthy man too. When they get back to the promised land that God called Abram to go to, they realize that neither of them have enough space to be able to continue to stay together. They're going to have to separate because their employees were fighting with one another. The, the flocks were, were hard to keep control as to who owned what. So Abram and Lot agree that they've got to separate. And when they separate, Abram says to Lot, go wherever you want to go. And where you go one way, I'll go the other way, but I'll give you first choice. The Bible says that Lot looked at the plains and decided he was going to move there. But there's a little phrase in the story that's really important. It says, I want to go to the plains which are well-watered like Egypt. How did he know that Egypt was well-watered? Because Abram exposed him to something that later would destroy his family and almost destroy him. Lot would go to the place like Egypt called Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what God did there, bringing fire down from heaven. You see, Abram's lack of faith has all of this fallout and it's fallout that happens over many years, and it's fallout that happens to people in Abram's life who loved him and who were a part of his life, and the spill out of Abram's failure falls out to other people. When you don't walk by faith, it's not just you who gets impacted. When you don't walk by faith, it's the other people in your life whom you love and who look to you who also get impacted. And this goes on for not just a day or a month or a year. This Failure of Abraham, of Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, in Genesis 12 
sets the stage for enormous impact in people's lives later. And that's what happens with sin. Sin is a seed. And when you plant a seed, the principle of the harvest says what? You always reap later than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. You plant one kernel of corn in April, maybe May, depends on the weather, I guess. And then you put that good Lancaster fertilizer on it for all the world to smell. (laughs) And then it grows over the summer, and first a little plant comes up, and then it grows a whole stalk, and then it grows ears on the stalk. And then we harvest those ears at the right time, and we say, oh, there's nothing like Lancaster County corn. Yeah, but it all started from one seed. Same thing is true in life, friends, with faith and sin. Jesus says if you have faith like a mustard seed, it'll grow, and you can move a mountain, or in the case of the kingdom of God, this little seed grows and becomes a giant tree where all of the birds can nest. A little seed of faith can do incredible things, but a little seed of sin can make a world of difference in many people's lives for a long, long time. That's why God puts the story here. Maybe you're fitting at a crossroads right now where you've got fear in your heart. And you're saying, what's going to happen? Here's why this story was written and recorded for us. God wants you to know that when you come to those tests of life, the trials of life, the fears of the heart, that if you don't walk in faith, bad things can happen because when God called you to follow him by faith, he wants you to continue to walk with him in faith. Now, I don't know what that means for your life because every one of us processes fear differently and different things matter to us. You know, maybe it's a business situation, maybe it's a family situation, maybe it's a health situation, maybe it's a situation that nobody else knows about, or maybe it's a situation that a lot of people know about. Maybe it's unique to you, or maybe it's a shared fear. The next series I'm doing is on how to get rid of anxiety from your life, from Philippians 4. And you know, people have a lot of anxiety in our world right now. They wonder if nuclear bombs are going to be dropped, they wonder if... The 27th version of the pandemic's going to show up. Whatever, right? You can have a lot of fear in your life, and sometimes the fear is individual to you, and sometimes it's shared with others. But the point is, when you come to that crossroads as a believer, and your faith gets tested, and you see no human way out, and you begin to process, what must I do? At that moment... You need a story like this to remember that if you were at the altar worshiping when God called you to follow him, it's good to go to the altar in prayer before you make any kind of a plan. Otherwise, lots of bad things can happen, right? Now, here's the wonder of the story, uh, as we saw Lot make the bad decision that impacted him. And and that's the wonder of the story is that fullness is found by returning to the Lord. Fullness is found by returning to the Lord. The story doesn't end with Abram making a mess of things. 
the story comes full circle in the next chapter of Genesis 13. Here's what happens. Uh, Abram leaves Egypt with Lot, and they go out. Sarah is restored to Abram. Their family is back together again. Abram is now wealthier than ever before. And the Bible says that when he got back into the promised land, when he got back into the promised land, when he went up from Egypt to the Negev, and from there with his wife and everything he had, having become very wealthy in livestock and in gold, from there he began roaming again. He went from place to place. Do you see it? Until he came to where? Bethel. What was it, Bethel? The altar. The altar was at Bethel. That's where he had prayed. That's where he had worshipped. That's where God had blessed him. That's where God had made to him a promise. Here's his, think about this. You say, I would never be as dumb as Abram. You know, God promises, God calls him, then God blesses him, and he's a wealthy man. God's bestowed all of this stuff on him, and then he just goes out and he does his own thing, and he makes a mess for everybody. Then when he's done and Pharaoh kicks him out, he comes back into the promised land, and he's still wandering. Man, don't you think he should have just gone right immediately to Bethel? I'm going to go back to the altar. That's where I was blessed, and that's where I had security, and that's the God who called me. He ended up back to the place where he should have been staying and worshiping all along. He went where he had first, look at verse 4. He went where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Wow, if he had just stayed at Bethel. But at least he had the good sense to eventually get back there. Now, you and I, friends, have an altar where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth, an altar where the sacrifice was supremely made, an altar where God's promises were forever secured, and that altar is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that final sacrificial place where the Son of God opened his arms wide and paid the final price for our sin, securing the promises of God for us. Now listen, when Abram came back to God in Genesis 13, 4, and he came back to that place where it had started God's blessings, was God there to meet him? Yes, he was. Did any of the promises of God change? No, they didn't. You see, you may wander from God. You may make a mess for yourself. And you may not feel as if anything that you've done, as you look back on it, was worthwhile, and maybe, in fact, you have great regrets and guilt over it. But here's the one thing God wants in his word for you to know. You can always come back to the altar and God never forgets his promise. The promise of God is not resting on your behavior. I'm going to say that again. The promises of God are not resting on your behavior. When you fail in your faith, and whatever is not of faith is what? When you fail in your faith, 
The promises of God are not dependent upon your behavior. Don't believe me? Let's look at Abram. His behavior was rotten and atrocious. He's a lousy husband. He is a lousy liar. He's a lousy, rotten scoundrel in this story. There is not a good thing about his behavior in this story. Even when he leaves, he's more than glad to take all of Pharaoh's gold. Well, I made a mistake. I might as well get rich in the process. His behavior is atrocious. And when he comes back to the altar, who's there to meet him? God is there to meet him. There Abram called on the name of the Lord, and the story goes on to say that God showed Abram all the land he was going to give him. God's promises to you to redeem you, to forgive you, to give you a place eternal is built on his character and his love. And he has said to you, I want you to go with me. Come and let's go to a land that I'll show you. Walk with me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a place that's yours. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's, he's going to prepare a place for all of those believers who in faith walked with him, and he's going to build a, prepare a place for those believers who had those moments of sin where they lacked faith and made a mess of things. He's still building a place for you there too. And the reason that you can know that to be true is because when you come to the altar, Jesus is there, his blood is sufficient, your payment has been made, Restoration is open and possible for you because where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Right? So if you've been out wandering from God, having taken matters into your own hand, you stepped out in faith, and then you failed, and you've been wandering, it's time to come back to Bethel. It's time to come back to the altar. It's time to come back to call on the God who loves you and made a promise to you that's not dependent upon you, but that's dependent upon him. So God asks you to repent. He says, acknowledge that you've been in Egypt. Acknowledge that you've made a mess of things. Acknowledge that even back in the promised land, you've been wandering from place to place, and it's time to come back to Jesus at the altar Repent and turn from where you've been, and when you do, you will find a loving Savior whose provision is all-sufficient for both your best days and your worst. That's why the story's here. Abram, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And God says to us, through my Son, I'm going to bless you. Jesus is more than glad to walk your way. The Bible says that if you walk towards God, he will run towards you. And so I'm wondering as I close, if there's anybody here who, like Abram, has been wandering in Egypt. Maybe you've been wandering for a while. Maybe you've been wandering for a long while. Here's what I know, that no matter where you've been, it's never too late to come back to the God 
who made a promise to you, who showed his love for you at Calvary, who gave his blood to cover every mistake and sin, and who invites you to come back, to follow him, to walk with him, and to have your conscience restored, to have your sin forgiven, to have your guilt removed, to have your shame removed. Jesus calls you back to himself, and I invite you to him this morning. Let's pray. might be that you need to make a decision today. God calls us to make decisions. God calls us to evaluate ourselves to see where we stand in the faith. Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves to see if they were in the faith. And, and maybe you know that you've been really running from God or wandering from God. And the, the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Maybe that's where you're at in your life. You know you've been wandering. Like Abram, you haven't been walking in faith. Maybe you've even made some messes along the way. And I'm so glad to point you and invite you to come back to the cross where Jesus forgives and restores and you can worship God again in spirit and in truth. If you need to repent and come, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I've wandered from you and from God. I have not walked in faith when I was tempted with the test and trial of fear. I took matters into my own hands and did my own thing. I see now that that was wrong. I see that it lacked faith. And I want to ask you to forgive me to cleanse me, and allow me to worship you again in spirit and in truth. I'm here at the altar pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, my only sufficiency. Oh God, meet me here and let me worship you again. Let me walk with you and restore to me the joy of my fellowship. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have, keep your heads bowed, please. If you've prayed something like that, You've come to the altar this morning. Would you let me know by raising your hand? Is there anybody here? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I want to promise you from God's word that if you've come back to the cross, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, we give you praise, and we thank you this day for the word of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.